We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Good morning, everybody. I'm glad that you're here. Those of you who are watching online, welcome. We're glad you're here as well. Um, today, we've got a special day. We've got baptisms happening right after service. Guys, it's going to be so much fun. So if you've got nothing to do except run out to get a burrito or some good, good Mexican food or something like that, stick around, cheer, applaud, and let your faith be encouraged by what God is doing in our church and in this community and in this city of Arvada. Guys, it's really exciting. And so come right after service. Just hang out. We're going to be having baptisms right here. Does that sound good? Yeah. Awesome. Listen, you know, we've been in a series talking about spiritual warfare, right? And last week, Pastor Jason hit us over the head with a message talking about how the enemy attacks us through the gate and the access point of our mind. There are three access points that we're going to be covering, the mind, the heart, and the mouth. Well, make sure you come for the mouth one, okay? Wives, you can rib jab your husbands. Um, today, I'm going to be covering the access point of our heart. And I believe that God has a fresh word of the Lord for us today. I mean, always, but literally, I went to bed last night talking with my wife, deliberating about the message I had prepared and felt that God was stirring something inside about this topic that he wanted us to grab a hold of. So this morning I was up, and uh, thank you, AV team, for your flexibility. We adjusted the notes a little, maybe a lot, and um, maybe completely. So if you're using the app, I apologize. You may or may not have access to what I'm going to share. But that's okay because the Spirit of God is with you, and we learn from the Spirit. You don't learn from me. You don't learn from Pastor Jason. The Spirit of Christ, man, He is your instructor. He is your teacher. And so we are going to pray now and invite, because this is, we are in a spiritual war. We are going to invite the Holy Spirit to instruct us and lead us and guide us this morning. Does that sound good? All right, Jesus, thank you for not leaving us alone, but giving us the Spirit to lead us and guide us into all truth and to teach us how to use the weapons of warfare to combat the enemy and walk in the victory that is already ours. We thank you for your goodness in Jesus' mighty name. And everybody said... Amen. Great. So this also isn't in the notes, but second, we're going to go to Colossians 2.15 because I felt to remind you of something, and that is that you are not living in defeat. You have been given an entrance into victory through the work of Christ. Now listen, you don't have to earn your salvation but you do need to walk in it intentionally. You need to do your part, your responsibility to walk in what Christ paid for. Just like being given any gift, if you don't receive it or use it, it shows that you do not appreciate it. But you, I want to remind you, the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion. He's not a lion. He's not God's direct, exact opposite, not even close. 
Satan, at best, is just an imposter and a really good voice actor. Do you follow what I'm saying? And I'm not trying to belittle the fact that he does have authority when we give him authority to mess with us. And he wants nothing more and nothing less than your destruction. Why? Because he can't touch God. So what's he going to do? He wants to touch you. Satan's mission is to sabotage your life. He is not powerful. He is not omniscient, meaning he doesn't know everything. He can't be everywhere at the same time. But I'll tell you this, he is strategic and he has studied human beings for millennia. I don't know any of you that have a PhD over the course of millennia in human behavior. Satan is a strategist and his aim is to destroy your life. He wants to shortcut what God wants to do because he doesn't know what God wants to do, but he has a sense of what God wants to do through human beings because he's watched it happen. He was there. I bet you he was watching, hoping that David was going to chicken out when Goliath was out there. And can you imagine his, his dread when he realized David was not chickening out and he decided to strengthen himself in the Lord and go out and fight valiantly in the power of God and defeat their enemy? Right? Let that stir you a little bit, that, that Satan is not an idle foe just kind of sitting in his armchair, smoking a stogie and sipping some whiskey, hoping for your demise. He is strategically planning with maps and charts and data, and he wants to destroy the very apple of God's eye because he can't touch God. I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm a pretty tough dude. If anybody wants to fight me, better watch out. But if you really want to hurt me, hurt my kids, and then you're going to get hurt. Satan knows that he can't touch God. The only way he can touch God is by attacking his kids. And I don't mean just those who know Jesus already. I mean the world. Satan is strategic, and he is after the very heart of God, which is you and me. But here's the thing. In 2.15, Colossians, it says this, that Jesus Christ disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame, triumphing over them in him. Satan does not have the authority. His his demonic forces do not have the authority. God put them to shame in this, that they thought they had authority and it was instantly taken away when Jesus triumphed over them by giving up his life sacrificially for us. And we were instantaneously given access to freedom and victory that we did not earn and we did not fight for. But now we need to walk in. You are not living from a place of defeat. You are able to live from a place of victory. So as we look at this idea, this concept of the battleground of the heart, we could call it, or this gate of the heart that we are commissioned to guard and protect, I want you to recognize that you are in a spiritual battle. Ephesians 6 is very clear about this. Ephesians chapter 4 is very clear about this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 is very clear about this. The Bible is very clear about this. You are in a spiritual battle. 
You know, I've heard people in this church say things like, man, I'm just encountering a lot of spiritual warfare right now. It's like, right now? What about like always? You are never not in a spiritual battle, friends. You are always in a spiritual battle. Always. The enemy's pretty sneaky, though, because I'll tell you this. If he can't get you to turn away from Jesus, I'll tell you what he will do. He'll try to convince you that he does not exist. There's nothing going on here. And you equate spiritual warfare with having a headache when you have to have an important meeting at work. Or getting a flat tire when you have to be somewhere for someone. Oh, man, spiritual warfare. No, probably not. Probably not. But we focus on these types of things, which are minor issues and little tiny disturbances that happen to everybody just because life, and we forget that the enemy is strategically trying to plant emotions and attitudes in the field of your heart to sabotage you. I don't know who did it to us this year, but we planted a bunch of flowers in our garden boxes. And you know what's growing in there? A bunch of weeds. Somebody came over our fence and planted weeds in that garden box. All of them. Right, babe? Seems like it. Without us even knowing, seeds were in the soil that germinated. And I don't know, why is it that weeds are always, they seem to just want to grow faster and more prolifically than the flowers we're trying to plant. What is the deal? So friends, the enemy does that as well. Strategically, he will try to get you to think that he doesn't exist, nothing's going on, you don't have anything to worry about, just carry on as normal and let him gradually woo you toward his kingdom way. Meanwhile, the kingdom of God goes without advancing and his culture goes uncultivated in the earth and in your family. Did you know that unity is not something that you can create? Paul warns us that we need to fight to keep the unity of the faith. Did you know that? It is something that God gives us and as a church family, we need to actually do warfare in our emotions and our attitudes to maintain unity that God gave us because you can't create that. We can't create that, but it is our responsibility to fight for it because the enemy, not only does he want to destroy your life, he wants to divide the church. He wants to divide families. He wants to tear them apart so that they're disjointed and cannot do the mission of God. Because I don't know about you, but maybe you don't realize this, but you're not just living in this lifetime. You're going to live for eternity, and what you do here matters in eternity, but this life is really short, and you are eventually going to be living in eternity, and, and Satan wants nothing more than to cause you to waste this opportunity to honor God with your decisions and your choices here and now. He wants to distract you. He wants to disunify you. He wants to separate you off from other people who could be there for your good. He wants to put a wedge between you and your wife because maybe your wife's really good at calling out your rotten attitudes and you need her to do that. And so he's going to plant these feelings in you of like, she just doesn't like you. So then you have now have a pity party and an attitude and now you're proud and won't listen when she says, you really shouldn't talk like that. 
I don't see any women looking at their husbands right now at all. I don't see it at all, you know. But friends, if the enemy can't get you to think he doesn't exist, he will try to scare you. He'll try to threaten you, say, man, if you stand up, if you try to do that, if you try to change, well, I'm going to this and I'm going to that. So you better watch out. That's where you need to remind him, well, hold up, wait a second. I'm pretty sure that you have already lost. You already lost. So I don't think that you actually have authority to speak to me like that. And you might be like, do you talk to the devil like that? Occasionally I do. Out loud. Sometimes when I'm walking outside, I'll be like, no. People look at me like, what is the matter with that guy? (laughs) He's doing warfare. Sometimes you need to open your mouth and do a little warfare. You don't need to hyper-spiritualize and be a weirdo and be all out of balance and like looking for demons under every chair and carrying some fake gun that's invisible, but you know it's there. It's a spiritual weapon for... No, you carry around the Word of God and you use your mouth and your will and you exercise warfare against the enemy's camp. Because my friend Dean Sherman wrote a great book called Spiritual Warfare for Every Christian. I love how he put the subtitle in there as a subtle like, yeah, you too. No one's exempt from this. But he says this about spiritual warfare, that spiritual warfare is recognizing the strategies of the devil, refusing to cooperate, and cutting them off, most importantly, in the name of Jesus. That's all spiritual warfare is. So I don't want you to get this hyper-spiritualized, out-of-balance view of what spiritual warfare it is. It is recognizing what the enemy's trying to do, saying, I'm not going that direction. And in fact, we're cutting that off in the name of Jesus Christ. That's what spiritual warfare is. Because the enemy can't move where he does not have permission. And you can passively give permission to an intruder to come into your house by leaving your door unlocked. We can leave the door of our heart unlocked. But here's the deal. Proverbs chapter 4 says this. I only have 12 pages of notes for you guys, so it's going to be a really quick morning. (laughs) Proverbs chapter 4 verse 23 says this. Keep your heart with all vigilance. Another version says, with all diligence. Keep it, guard it, for from it, meaning lock the door. For from it flows the springs of life. So put away, these are all active things you need to do. Put away your crooked, put away from you crooked speech. Put devious talk far from you. Let your eyes look directly forward and your gaze be straight before you. And ponder, think about where you're going to put your feet. Then all your ways will be sure. Do not swerve to the right or to the left. Turn your foot away from evil. Here's the thing. Your heart, this word heart actually has a meaning that's different than what we think about when we think of heart. Because we think of heart... Hebrews taught heart as the seat of your emotions and your attitudes, the place from which you make decisions. 
It is your attitudes and your emotions that the enemy is strategically trying to infiltrate and influence and plant incorrect emotions and attitudes in that place of the heart. And Proverb, the writer of Proverbs go on to say that this place is important because from it is a spring of life. So we're going to move very quickly through this message, so I hope you guys are okay. But I feel like my job today is to equip you with how to do warfare in the arena of your heart. How to do this warfare. You guys, is there anybody in the room that doesn't struggle with emotions and attitudes in their heart? Anybody? I didn't think so. All of us know that there's a problem here. All of us understand that we're being influenced by the enemy as well. We all know that we've got stuff going on in here that needs to be ejected. And we need to combat the enemy's strategies. But the question is how? The first thing I can tell you, the first place to start is to recognize the value of your heart. Some of us disparage our heart. We're like, ah, you know, it's just hard. It's just an emotion. We don't really care about it. Or maybe we care about it, but we do nothing to protect it. We watch whatever we want to watch. We listen to whatever we want to watch or listen to. We have thoughts that run rampant in our mind and we do nothing about them because we're like, yeah, what are you going to do? We're just a human. It's because when we have that lackadaisical attitude toward guarding our heart, it's because we don't respect the value of that heart that God gave us. And we need to have a revelation from God, from the Spirit, about how valuable this place is that harbors your emotions and your attitudes. Because here's the thing. Check this out. You guys watch this, all right? I don't know if it's going to be on the screen or not, but people's words or actions can produce in you thoughts. Those thoughts left unchecked, if the gate is unlocked, they move in and start creating an emotion in your heart. That emotion, if left unchecked, with the gate unlocked, so the enemy can just waltz right in, will take root as an attitude in your heart. And here's what's crazy. Remember Proverbs chapter 4 talks about a spring of living water, a spring coming out. Okay, the spring of life coming out of you. Well, check this out. That attitude then left to establish itself will then produce new emotions, which then produce new thoughts, which then produce new words and actions that now have come out of you and are potentially defiling yourself or others. Some of you guys blame a lot of stuff on the devil. Well, the devil's just bothering me and the devil's making my life a miserable time. Some of us, we're like, maybe, maybe that person has a demon. No, probably not. It's just that the devil doesn't have to do much when he's planted so many attitudes and emotions in us that we're doing his job for him. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do not allow yourself to become an accomplice with the devil. Friends, you can. When Paul was writing to the Ephesians, he's warning them, saying, yo, you're not doing this, but you could be partnering with the devil. 
So stand guard, put on the armor, be watchful. Do you follow what I'm saying? Remember, he is not a roaring lion. I've heard Christians quote, Satan's a roaring lion looking around for something. No, he's like a roar. He's a pretender. He's a liar. He's a saboteur at best. That's what he does. You don't need to surrender your will to his will. You don't need to do that. He has no authority. Christ triumphed over him, not just a little, but completely. You know you're getting on a sneak-a-preach tangent when your iPad says, that's enough, and just turns off. (laughs) Listen, we know, okay, the enemy, one of his strategies is he wants to try to get you to believe that your inner man or woman is not as important as your outer man or woman. Remember, though, he's a liar. He's a deceiver and he's a traitor. He'll present himself to you as your friend. Look, you know, if you just if you just looked a little nicer, maybe you'd get more likes on social media. If you were just a little bit, you know, less intense about Jesus, you'd have more friends. Do you follow what I'm saying? If you just compromise and don't say that thing to your son, he'll like you more. If I just hold inside that grudge I have against my longtime friend who kind of treated me weird last week, and I just stuff it down and pretend like it's not there, but I'm all nicey-nice out front, you know, it's going to be fine. You see, we know that the inner person is more important, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. Okay, but why don't we live like that's true? Hello? Hello? Guys, it's because the enemy is working very hard to deceive you and me into thinking that the what we can see is most important. This happened with Samuel. Samuel's an epic prophet. He's going out to anoint King David. He didn't know who he was at the time. God said, go, you're going to anoint the next king. He's looking at all the handsome dudes, and he's like, man, I got not this one, not this one, not this one. And God spoke to him and said, I don't look at the exterior. I look at the heart. And then in comes David, you know, Rudy, which means I don't know what, but I think it means like reddish, red hair, freckles, kind of muscular, smelled like sheep. Probably hadn't showered in a month or a year. Probably had a sling and some stones and like pretty manly dude, a shepherd's staff for beating off animals. Probably had some blood splattered on him from killing a bear with his bare hands. And Samuel heard from the Lord, that's the guy. Look at that heart. Look at that heart. The heart is absolutely vital. Guarding it is crucial to your success in spiritual warfare. And step one of guarding it is recognizing its value. Step two is to craft offensive strategies. It's not good enough just to know how valuable something is. If something's really valuable, you protect it. And you actually don't just think, I should protect that. You actually do it. Okay, imagine if you knew your home was worth a lot of money. Maybe it's paid off because if you had a mortgage, they'd force you to have insurance. But let's pretend it's paid off, right? Praise God. You know it has value, but it's not good enough to just be like, 
I should get insurance. No, you call your insurance agent, you call whoever, you maybe mistakenly put your information in on a website and get millions of calls about insurance for the rest of your life. I don't know. That's demonic right there, probably. But the thing is, you've got this thing. You actually have to do the practical side of calling the insurance place and say, I need my house insured. And they're going to ask you some questions about, and you know the drill. Why? You do that because you know it has value. So you need to recognize that the enemy wants to ruin you from the place of your heart. He wants nothing less than your absolute ruin and destruction. Friends, don't sit passively and be like, yeah, the enemy's, you know, he's a punk. But do nothing about it. You have got to set up some strategies. Working through lust and pornography issues as a young man for me, the best piece of advice I ever got was, how does the enemy get in? When are you being tempted? What do you feel like when that's happening? Right before, back up a step. Where's that doorway at? Oh, it's when you're alone, you're discouraged, you're tired, and you have a device. Hmm. What do you think you should do about that? Well, Mr. Counselor, man, I, I think I should probably not, you know, when I'm feeling like that or it's late at night, you know, maybe I shouldn't have that device. And he's like, yeah. So I started implementing that as a young man. The men I've coached since then, I've actually had a few of them say things to me like, but I need my phone for my alarm. <laughs> now I'll tell you what that is. That's stupidity. Because if you really wanted to walk in freedom and victory over that, that pornography or lust issue that's really coming at you during those hours of the night, when you're tired from a long day and you're alone with your precious device, because you just got to have it so you can wake up in the morning because, like, they don't sell $6 alarm clocks at the store with the blue sign on it. No, we laugh and giggle, I know, because it's kind of funny and I'm making fun of it. But that is, the, that is the attitude we have about how the enemy is getting after us. We're like, we believe the lies he's told us, but you need that phone. But you need to keep that attitude because it protects you and keeps you safe. You need to walk in fear because you're not going to do dumb stuff if you're afraid. Except be afraid, which is dumb. I'm, I'm taking it far on purpose. I just want you guys to see what I'm talking about. The enemy is strategic and he knows you really well. And he'll deploy, see this thing, he will deploy strategies in your area of weakness. He does not play fair. He's not going to come at you where you're strong. I mean, I'm not going to cheat on my taxes. He's not going to tempt me about cheating on my taxes. I'm like, heck no, I don't want to go to jail or have the IRS call me. That's weird. But he knows where I'm weak because he's watched me. His cronies have watched me. They know. If you don't believe me, just stop for a second and think about where you struggle. Is it in your area of strength or in your area of weakness? Be honest with yourself. The enemy will exploit your weaknesses. And that's why we need, need to set up boundaries for our protection and offensive strategies to go out and counter-oppose the enemy's attack. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, says, Finally, 
be strong in the Lord and in his might. This is not your power, guys. You need to be strong and make that decision, but also firmly rooted in the fact that you are dust. We are dust. We are powerless. Our lives are a vapor. We're here and then we are gone. And it is the power of God that will enable you to do and wage warfare against the spiritual enemy. So do not be strong in your own strength. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. And put on, do your part, put on the full armor of God. You've got to do it so that you can be able to withstand the attacks and schemes of the devil. I love how Paul uses the word schemes. He's such a scoundrel. The dude is always scheming for your demise. You can't stand by yourself with no armor on. Think about it. We've got the list of the armor. We're not going to go through it because we just don't have time for that. Come to the seminar. We'll run someday. There's a lot. There's pieces of armor. The head has a helmet. That's where your mind resides. It's important to protect that so you don't get smoked because if you get injured in your brain, you're pretty much going to die. Your heart similarly and, but Paul says, you've got actually a double barrier protection on your heart. You've got the breastplate and you've got a shield with which to extinguish the fiery darts. Not just darts and arrows, but fiery ones that the enemy is going to shoot at you. When I was a little kid, my mom bought a cactus. It was one of those cactus that had like not just the spikes, it was like a little barrel cactus, but it had like the hooks. You know, those, like, those things are demonic, man. <laughs> and I remember she put it in the window and she's like, don't touch that. It's, that thing's got hooks and it'll hook you. And, you know, being homeschooled, I got a lot of creativity. I'm thinking, you know, we're taught to question everything. So I'm thinking, I don't know if that's true. It doesn't look like it's that bad. So I remember a couple days go by, I keep getting tempted by the cactus. Just, uh, God, touch it. I bet if my mom didn't say, don't touch that, I probably wouldn't have cared, but I was just like, is it really that bad? So one day, man, those hooks were sharp. I stuck my finger in there thinking, I'm just going to pet it. And then I was like, oh, man. And that thing hooked me like three times, and those things are sharp. Little tiny hooks like Velcro. It got me and then as I tried to get out, it got me worse and worse and then worse. And I'm like, now I'm really in trouble. Because I'm either going to have to just cut my fingers off and leave them here and pretend like something happened in the backyard or I don't know what at this point. So I got my mom, got, I got some help from my mom and some of the little spikes broke off in my fingers. And man, it hurt for days reminding me, don't ever do that again. But you see, the enemy, man, his arrows that he wants to shoot at you have those little spines on them. It is better for you to not let those get you, okay? Hold up that shield of faith. Get that breastplate of righteousness on. Let me tell you how this works. If you think about it from a practical standpoint, let's pretend, not that this would ever happen, but let's pretend that Ernie here, thank you for serving us today, by the way, that Ernie here makes a comment about my preaching after I preach today. 
Well, you could have done better. I mean, I've seen you do better. I don't know. You're just having an off day today. I don't know if you speak with a southern accent or not, but I don't know why I do that. <laughs> sorry for all southern. I'm from New Hampshire, so I just make fun of southerners, on, on, not on purpose. I'm so sorry. You could even take offense at that, right? And let it become a little arrow that gets in and sticks, gets you. Stirs up that emotion of rejection. And then that emotion of rejection turns into an attitude of like, well, I'm not going to trust that guy. He's a jerk. What would you expect? I'm from New England. <laughs> right? Now let's pretend Ernie did that to me. I'll tell you what I can do with that shield of faith and the, bless, the breastplate of righteousness. I could say, whoa, whoa, I, I see you, Satan. I see what you're trying to do. No, not today, Satan. And you extinguish those things and don't let them come in. Proverbs says a wise person overlooks an opportunity for offense. So if Ernie was to critique me like that, I would certainly have an opportunity to be offended and be like, bro, why'd you say that? It's so rude. Or I could say, I'm sure there was some kind of good intention there for him to want to say that to me. And then just move on. Because here's the deal. I'm not working for the approval of Ernie or anyone else. Now that is not easy to do. My brother here and I were talking about this earlier. That is not easy to do. We are addicted to approval. We're trained in our culture to look for approval. We're trained by our parents. We're trained by our schools. If you get a D on your report card and a bunch of other A's, what, does get, what gets talked about when you get home? Not those A's you, you got. I never got that. I just got a bunch of D's, so whatever. But the thing is, we're trained to like, man, you need to get up to my standard, boy. Okay. Um, so then when we get, we're grown up, we're grown up humans, but we're still little kids on the inside, just looking for approval. It's like, I need it. I need it. But I tell you, the steps of maturity that God's going to lead you through to grow you out of needing people's approval, society's approval, and move you into wanting and loving and appreciating the approval of God himself, man, that is a place of freedom and victory that Christ paid for for you. And it's available to us. But when you know who you are, you have that blessed breastplate of righteousness. I'm having a hard time saying that. It's a, a blessed plate, I guess. A breastplate of righteousness on, and you've got your shield of trusting faith up in front of you. The enemy may try to get at you through someone. And you could say, I see what you're doing, Satan. Not today. Because I know who I am, and I'm trusting in what he says I am period. Do you follow what I'm saying? So that heart has a double layer protection on it if you put the armor on. If you don't put the armor on, you are vulnerable to those, I only hear it in Spanish, chusos, those arrows, that's the, the darts that go into your heart and stick there and become very difficult to deal with later. So, we need to be on the offensive. And if you have a hard time with this, I want you to think about even someone like Job, who's a righteous man in God's sight. He even said in chapter 31, he says that he made a covenant with his eyes that he would not look lustfully upon a young woman. So that means he, had a, he, had to, he recognized an area of weakness 
And he set up a boundary and a counteroffensive strategy to resist that area of attack. What do you think the story of Job would be like if he was actually a womanizer? You ever think about that? What if, what if this was actually the, the one and only weakness the enemy could exploit and, and Job was foolish enough to actually just leave that door unlocked because he was maybe too lazy or unaware? His story would be very different. Friends, we need to recognize the strategy and prayerfully with the Lord and the counsel of others set up real boundaries and real strategies to protect our heart because it's valuable and to go on the counteroffensive. Amen? Here's a question you can ask yourself while you're deliberating. If I were the devil, wives, don't look at your husbands. If I were the devil, how would I attack me? If you have a hard time imagining that, you can ask your spouse or a close friend, how do you think, what areas of weakness do you think the enemy would try to exploit in my life? Maybe I didn't warn you, but this process of spiritual warfare is going to require humility and trust and vulnerability. Sorry, I tricked you guys into coming today, I think. But it's like, you're going to have to be vulnerable and honest with yourself about where your weaknesses are, where the doors are that need to be shut and locked, where you need to set watchmen on the wall of your heart. Who are you letting in? What are you letting in? Why are you letting it in, right? Because the enemy has strategies. I told you this already. He has strategies. He's not going willy-nilly at you. He is strategically planning for your downfall. But remember, you have Christ, the victor, who is also in your corner and for you, all right? So don't be afraid. You don't have to walk from fear Walk in a place of confidence knowing that you have what you need to do the warfare that you are called to do. And friends, can I tell you something personal? I need each and every one of you to do your warfare. This church, this community, God's kingdom actually needs you, really needs you to do this warfare. We, we can't have you sitting on the sidelines all wounded and beaten up and rejected and harboring emotions and attitudes and blah, blah, blah that have been planted there and cultivated by the kingdom of darkness. We need you whole and healthy and walking in victory and moving from glory to glory to glory to glory, combating the enemy's strategies and simultaneously cultivating a kingdom that cannot be eradicated. That's what we need, and we need each and every one of you. And that's why the Bible is full of like, man, don't give up doing good. Don't do that. Keep going until you reap a harvest of righteousness. Oh, and when you see someone that's stumbling, encourage them to keep going because it's worth it and not to give up. And we need to challenge and encourage one another to step into the place of victory and healing that Christ has already provided for us. We've got to do it, and I need you guys. This church, we need you guys if we're going to become who God wants us to be for this community and for the nations, which is an imperative mission that we reach this lost generation. We have got to step into maturity and healing and be willing to do the warfare as it comes at us and go on the offensive and destroy the works of darkness. We have got to do that. It is, you can't, you could sit by idly, 
but that is not what you were designed for. I tell you what, if you want to find true joy and tap into true passion and see your life catch on fire, start doing warfare in your heart and start engaging with the mission that God has called you to do. I don't care if you're 92 years old or you're two months old, God has a calling on your life. And until you go home, you cannot retire from the kingdom of God, period. Do you understand what I mean? I don't know if you guys know Ken Urban, When I came into missions at 18 years old, this guy was already like 68 million years old. And he was always frothing about the mission field and about the mission of God and his intimacy with Jesus and his time in the word. The guy would get up at 3 a.m. and pray and read the Bible and journal and intercede for the nations for revival to come forth all the way till 5 or 6 in the morning. And then he'd go back to bed so he could give his wife some snuggles and make her not feel left out. And he, he did this until the day that his wife passed away. And he now continues. He, he called me a couple, a month or so ago. We were out on a walk, and he left me a voicemail just saying, hey, Mark, how are you doing? And the guy's like 96 million years old now, and he's like, hey, how are you doing? Man, and he continued to tell me all the cool things that he's hearing about God doing in the mission field. And his heart is just engaged and he's on fire for Jesus. And the dude has not faded away like Hebrews warns us not to do. He has stayed engaged. He's done the warfare. He's done the work. And the dude walks and he overflows with joy everywhere he goes. The guy can barely get from his bedroom to the kitchenette without assistance. And he's more on fire than most Christians I know. There's a lot at stake. Here's the problem, though. If you have not engaged in this kind of warfare yet, you don't even realize what you're missing out on. But if I can create an atmosphere of FOMO a little bit, a fear of missing out, you are missing out big time if you spend your days nursing and harboring rotten attitudes that deserve to be kicked out, stomped on and burned and emotions that need to be led. You are missing out on something that God wants to pour out on you and through you for your family, for your kids, for your grandkids, for your mom, for your dad, for your city, for your nation, guys. Guys, you are missing out. Do you even know what it means to be stoked on Jesus? Right? Do you know? And maybe I'm getting a little too intense for you. And, and you might want to say, well, man, he's kind of a little bit too much for me. I know he's a little bit intense. He's kind of a Jesus freaky guy. Guess what? We are meant to be living 100% on fire for Jesus. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be some kind of weak fire that's just kind of smoldering over there and kind of smells good. I want to burn for Jesus. And part of that is you've got to do the warfare and get in there and do what you've got to do. You've got to recognize the importance of the call of God that he has put on your life and the value of the heart that he has given you. It is not accidental that he put you inside of you. Do you follow what I'm saying? And that you needs to be awake and alert and on the offensive and guarding that precious gift, which is the life of God inside of you. This isn't just for you. Can I say it again? This church, this community, your family, your neighbors, it is imperative that we step into our destiny, our rightful place of victory. Not so that we can just have more money and run a cool business and be comfortable. No, so that we can continue to pillage the enemy's camp. You guys follow what I'm saying? 
Now, I want to remind you, Satan does not have power. He is defeated already. He's a liar. He's a traitor. He's a saboteur. He's always been like that. He will present himself as your friend and try to lead you toward things that will eventually keep you captive. Like that cactus I stuck my finger into. So step three here. Well, actually, before we get to that, I just want to encourage you. If you know that there are some areas where you need to build some strategies and some, some boundaries and some counteroffensives, pray. Jay, I almost said Pastor James. James chapter 1 says that if we need wisdom, all we got to do is ask. Believe we can have it, and he will give it to you. You do not have the wisdom you need. I'm not calling you dumb, but let's just be honest, okay? We're humans. You do not have the wisdom and strategy that you need to develop the counteroffensives against the enemy. You're not that wise. You haven't been around that long. I don't care if you've been coming to this church for 40 years. You don't have what you need just by yourself. You need to ask God for wisdom and believe that he will give it to you so that you can develop the strategies. The second thing you need is you need confidence and trustworthy people you can talk to in your life to say, here's the battle, here's the area of weakness, this is where the enemy's been getting access to my heart, and this is what I'm going to do about it. What else, what else could I do? What do you think? Will you pray with me? Will you, will you hold me up in this as I begin to fight? Because I haven't been fighting. You need to pray and ask God and get people in your life who can be trusted advisors to help you along the way. So step three, there's only four steps, by the way, so don't panic too much, okay? Step three is that you need to issue eviction notices. You guys thought I was getting hot. I'm telling you guys, you have tolerated some of these emotions and some of these attitudes too long. Friends, I've had people tell me things over the years I'm not even going to repeat. Can I tell you actually one that's kind of funny? A guy came up to me all serious in worship one time when I was like 25. He's one of my comrades in, in missions, and he says to me, I feel like God wants me to tell you that you're a thorn in my flesh. <laughs> so you can imagine the emotions. I didn't say anything to him about it, but that eventually turned into an attitude. Man, for, for years... I looked at that guy and I thought, what a jerk. <laughs> and the enemy robbed me of a couple really good years with this dude who's awesome. Because I wasn't willing to overlook an offense and I let that arrow get by and I let it mark me. And then I didn't deal with that and then that turned into an attitude of, that guy's just a jerk. And right there, I let the enemy win. And he divided two brothers. That was nice to him on the surface because obviously I think the outer man is more important than the inner man. And if I just steer the outer man long enough, the inner man will come in line. Not so. A couple years later, I was able to deal with that. And I can kind of, I can joke about it, but you can tell it still hurts me to know that I gave room to the enemy. I gave him space you know, Hebrews chapter 3 talks about that. It says, like, don't let a root of bitterness come up or give an opportunity for the devil. Or maybe I'm mixing two scriptures, but 
you forgive me. I can't see right now. So we can give room and place to the enemy through our decision-making and through the allowance of leaving the door unlocked or even at times opening the door wide and saying, come on in, friend. Would you like a coffee? You want cream with that, honey? Have a seat. Let's chat. We are not to be friendly with the enemy. And when we recognize that we have attitudes that have been fostered and developed and cultivated by the emotions we have left in charge in our hearts, we need to issue eviction notice. We need to get aggressive about it and stop tolerating things that are actually defiling us and defiling those around us. Because remember, it goes in, it gets cultivated, and then it comes out. You remember what I told you earlier? Proverbs 4. There's a fountain. There's a spring that comes out. we got to protect it so it doesn't get polluted and pollute others or defile us. Galatians 5.24 says this, And those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified or have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Some of us, man, we're like, I'll get saved. I want to go to heaven. But we don't worry about crucifying the flesh and its passions and desires. Maybe we'll crucify the flesh. On the outside, we look controlled. But on the inside, our emotions and our attitudes are rotten and putrid. We need to crucify it. We need to get aggressive. Later, Paul says to the Colossians, he says, not only crucify the flesh and his passions and desire, but put it to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, like the negative kind of passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. Literally, stick a sword through it and put it to death. I'll tell you this. If you are willing to take this challenge, you are going to have to exercise some new levels of faith and confidence in God because you're going to need to kill some familiar friends in your heart. You follow what I'm saying? There are some attitudes there that maybe have been there for five years, ten years, maybe even attitudes against the people that you are called to love the most, like your spouse or your kids or your mom and your dad or a close friend, and you've harbored it and let it take up residence in your heart, you are going to need to have some confidence that there is a better way to live and then kick it out even when you don't know what it's going to be like to live without that familiar friend in your heart. You're going to have to trust Jesus. I know. That's, you're probably like, what? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this, and this should be familiar to you. You probably all have it tattooed on your arm somewhere. But it says this, trust in the Lord. What? With all your heart. Oh, and he keeps going, if that wasn't enough. And do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will do something miraculous. He will make your paths straight. That's the NIV. ESV says, make straight your paths. Here's the deal. Your emotions, which have cultivated attitudes that have taken up residence in your heart and are defiling you, are causing you to walk in crooked paths and probably causing people around you to walk in crooked paths as well. The only way to straighten that out is to trust God now with the process moving forward. Don't trust your own mind. Don't be like, I got this. I can figure this out. You are not that smart. 
You need to lean in and trust him with all of your heart. I used to think that meant, and again, there's lots of meanings to scriptures. You can interpret them lots of ways. But one way is you, you entrust him with the full strength of your heart. You trust him. Another is that you actually entrust him with your whole heart. Give him every part, including the negative attitudes and emotions that you have harbored there. Give them also to him. He can handle it. I'm pretty darn sure he can handle it. So as you then move on, you acknowledge his way everywhere you go, striving not to align yourself with the kingdom of darkness, but to his kingdom way. And he, in his trustworthy way, will straighten out your paths and teach you how to walk. I want to encourage you to create these boundaries not on your own wisdom or on the latest book from um, Brene Brown or even Jordan Peterson or whoever, I don't know who you follow, their books and their podcasts and their videos. It's all awesome. But I'll tell you what we do have that can never be replaced or never trumped is the word of God. You see, this is what Psalm 119, 11 and 12 says. It says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, Lord. Teach me your statutes. David calls out in Psalm 51, verse 10, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit in me. So not only are you going to kick out those, those rotten emotions and attitudes that don't belong there, you're going to evict them and put them to death. You are going to turn around and say, God, come and do what only you can do. And you got to get, Ramsey says about getting out of debt, get gazelle intense. You need to get gazelle intense about asking God to establish a new way of thinking in your heart. We've got to do it. It is vitally important. Psalm 119 says this, with my whole heart, the whole thing, I seek you. Let me not wander from, my, from your commandments. We need to pray prayers like these, guys. We need to stop praying for God to prosper us, man. You know, help me in my business. Help me not be a dummy. Like, no, we need to ask him to start right here. Do it right here, God. Set this on fire. Reform this. Change this. Shape this. He is the one who transforms our hearts and minds, not us. I feel like I say that every time I preach. Now, here's the cool thing. Step four is this, and some of you guys are going to love this. Rest. Abide. Jesus talked about this real clearly. He said, man, you got to abide or you're not going to be able to do anything. Trust me on that. You're not that smart. You're not that strong. Abide. 1 John 3, 19 says this. We shall know that we, that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Did you know that the Bible says that? I didn't just put a reference and make that. That's actually in, the, in your Bible. That's in the Catholic Bibles too. You know? It's in the Bible, guys. We need to trust that God is greater than our hearts. And when our hearts are a big mess, which some of us, we got some work to do. I got some work to do. God is bigger than even our hearts. That was a good cue, Elijah. Thank you. 
2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 3 says this, But the Lord is faithful. He will establish you and guard you against the evil one. You're not alone. You can rest. You can abide. You need to be actively resting. You understand? Like actively engaged with God about what he wants you to do, how, you want, how he wants you to do it, what needs to be kicked out, what needs to have your own mouth take authority over the enemy. You need to participate because just like God's not going to brush your teeth when you wake up, he's not going to dress you when you wake up. You've got to do your part. But it is by the grace of God you can do any of those practical things anyway. Same with this. It is by the grace and power of God you can do any of this in the first place. So do not try to do this without him. Abide. Start there. You're already loved. You're already known. Man, he knows, he knows the filth in your heart and he knows the good in your heart. Man, he made you. Don't pretend like you can pull a fast one on God and be something you're not. So just get into that active position of rest and receiving what he wants to give you. Man, Satan hates when Christians get a hold of that. When they stop trying to be someone they're not and they start being who God called them to be through abiding in his word. Because you know what happens then? Satan can't touch you. And his, his cronies start thing, singing, another one bites the dust. Can't get that one. And they start moving on. Philippians chapter 4 says this. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, this is part of your strategy, guys. In everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all figuring out, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You can't do it. He can. And he wants to involve you. Does that make sense? This is one of, these are the steps for doing warfare in the arena of our heart to guard it, to protect it, to cherish it, to recognize its value. Even though we are temporal here on this earth, we live for eternity. Your heart matters. If it didn't matter, God would not have given it to you. In Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, Delight then in the Lord. Take delight in him, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So here's the cool thing. You kick out those emotions and you kick out those attitudes and you kick them to the curb and you start delighting in the Lord and abiding in him and soaking in his word and spending time in prayer, actually having a relationship with Jesus. He starts to give you brand new desires. Where you used to hate that person in your family because of X, Y, Z, you now see them with the heart of Jesus and start to love them like Christ would love them. You're empowered to pray for them like you would want someone to pray for you. And instead of being a, being, falling prey to the victim strategies, you one-up him and turn the tables on him and send him running. So take time to delight in the Lord. And I want to leave you with this final scripture. It says this in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. It says that the eyes of the Lord run or look to and fro throughout the whole earth 
to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. And another version says it this way, that his eyes look to and fro on the earth to strengthen him whose heart is fully his. Again, not a portion, not a little bit, the whole thing. And I think part of the lie we believe sometimes is that we need to fix this up before we can give it to him. But that's like working from the outside in. If I fix this enough, this will get figured out. No. Starts here. Give it to him. He does his work, reimplants it in you, and then you become a new creation. And that process of becoming more like Christ happens every day as you do this warfare, as you engage in kicking in the enemy's teeth. So friends, I'll invite you to stand. We're gonna close with a little ministry time and, and a little bit of worship and Pastor Dave's gonna lead us in that. But I just wonder if you would join with me by sending, putting out your hands like this and let's invite God to do everything that he wants to do in our lives, amen? Jesus, we thank you for the, the price that you willingly paid to set us free and give us victory. And King Jesus, we say you are the king of our hearts. We give our hearts to you today, the ugly parts, the broken parts, the emotions that are deceiving us or have deceived us and the, the attitudes we have allowed to live in our hearts. We give them up to you right now and we surrender them in the name of Jesus Christ. And to demon powers and Satan, we say, we see you, we know what you're up to and we cut off your strategy and your plan in the precious name of Jesus Christ. You have no authority over us and we reject your plan in the name of Jesus. God, would you empower your church to do the warfare that you've called us to do, that you would set us on fire, God, to burn bright for you and see the nations glorify your name, King Jesus. So start with us, heal us, break us down, humble us, use us, teach us, and give us wisdom to walk well and wage warfare according to your way. So we say yes to you in confidence, not out of fear or worry or concern, but out of confidence that you are good and you are gonna teach us a new way to think and to love and to live. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. If you'd like to watch a service live online, you can join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. at live.faith.church. For everything else, visit faith.church. That's faith.church.